0: G'day, beer lovers. I'm Radio Brews News co-host Pete Mitchum, and thanks to Malt this is Beer is a Conversation, our weekly catch-up with the people who are making the modern beer world such a colourful landscape. In this series, we go beneath the branding to get to the business basics, the marketing tips and tricks, and most importantly, the stories that paint the often unseen picture behind the profile pics of the people who make the beers we know and love to share. Now, for many decades, the only outer suburban watering holes were spacious but drafty and rather soulless pokey slash bistro slash pub tab style venues, and while catering well to their clientele, never really achieved success in attracting families and those wanting more than just mainstream lagers and big screen sports. Today, the landscape is changing with the addition of small, family-owned and run brew pubs dotted across our major cities. In addition, these venues are increasingly popping up outside of the cool and trendy inner-city postcodes. One such newcomer is Bojack Brewing in Melbourne's outer southeast. Tucked away from the main drag but easily accessible, Bojack is making its mark and showing that an honest beer and food offering paired with a welcoming indoor and outdoor space will grow an appreciative local following – Run by a young couple with a young family from whom the brewery derives its name, Bojack Brewing shows that with the right kit, the right setup, and the right amount of hard work, a small suburban brew pub can be a sustainable model. I caught up with Dale and Sue Messina from Bojack Brewing as they shared their origin story, the thoughts behind the planning and execution of their dream, and their plans for the future. It's a wide-ranging chat and a good listen for those seeking a great family-friendly venue in the burbs and for those thinking that they too might want to join the growing list of small independent breweries in Australia. Oh, and please excuse the edited interruptions as plenty of loyal regulars popped in to collect takeaways and some contractors were uh, adding solar panels to the roof. Enjoy the conversation. Dale and Sue from Bojack Brewing, thanks very much for joining us on Beer is a Conversation. Thanks for having us, Pete. Thank you. Now, um, here we are in sunny, now we're Dandenong proper, really, aren't we? Uh, I, I think Dandenong South has become the new Marrickville, um, as far as the outer eastern suburbs, suburbs of Melbourne go for a concentration of really good breweries. It's probably unfair to say that we're rivaling Marrickville yet, but I'm, I'm, it's a start. How did you guys, uh, choose this as the, uh, the destination for Bojack Brewing?
1: My whole uh, working life, I've uh, worked in Dandenong. So I've uh, worked in a family construction business, uh, mainly structural steel, which was uh, started in Dandenong in the 80s. So um, we are actually next door. Uh, I was, worked there for 10 to 15 years with the brothers and an old man. So um, we had this building here in Dandenong. Um, we were just using for storage. So I thought um, I sort of had enough of working into the, in the family business I had a passion for brewing. Um, got together with my family and uh, put the idea across to them, and uh, we decided to uh, open a brewery. Here.
0: The cynic would say, would suggest that maybe the folks were looking for a, to move you out of the family business and into something, a project of your own. But was it was it more just you've got a passion for it? Let's help you out with it.
1: I got. I think I sort of got pushed into the family business. Um, wasn't really my passion. I sort of went out, got out of uh, school, actually went overseas and played tennis for a while. That sort of didn't work out. Came back, didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, old man and brother sort of pushed me to go and do some engineering. Did that, come back and work in the business, and then. Just, yeah, just no passion there. One day the old man just come to me and goes, what do you want to do? I can see you you, you don't like this. What do you want to do? So I've already been brewing for seven or odd years at home and um, took that pretty seriously, like competitions, all that sort of stuff. So um, he goes, come back to me with what you want to do. And, yeah, within a week I said, this is what I want to do. Didn't even think of doing it here. But, um, yeah, just we had all the utilities here everything. So we thought, give it a crack here.
0: And before we move on to Bojack itself, and and how you've you've got it started, where did the passion for home brewing start? Like, was the the Coopers kit, or did you start as an all grain brewer? Or, oh, it's a story you've heard a hundred times. I
1: was well, mid mid to late twenties. So you got me a home brew kit for my birthday, um, and then yeah, it just spiralled from there. So, always loved craft beer. Had a kegerator and all that at home. So I'd go to brews and get kegs off them and have that a tap on tap and
0: mates would come around and watch the footy
1: and that sort of stuff.
0: So where were your local breweries and were any of those uh, I guess inspiration for Bojack?
1: So our lo- we live in Chelsea, so about 15, 20 minutes away. Um, so local breweries Bo Rocker, we had Bad Shepherd not far, um, so yeah these sort of breweries, um, Two Brothers, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, so we would f- most Sundays we'd visit breweries with the the kids and sort of the brew pub model and like that so that's what we've uh, done here and so
0: did that influence I guess how Bojack operates because the one thing the feedback um, that I hear about Bojack is it's one of that new breed of, of brew pub in that a it's a brew pub not a production brewery that kind of has a bit of a cellar door but also that it's very much family friendly
2: think for us on a Sunday when we would go we would sort of compromise with the kids and say we'll take you to a park and then we're going to go have lunch and a few beers Um, so to us it was sort of we found it was a missing link in some of the breweries we found that it wasn't looked after Um, And the kids' aspect, I'm a firm believer that kids need to eat healthy food um, and it shouldn't be, you know, burgers and fries and things. I think there's plenty of other fast food places that look after that. Um, But we just found that there was a bit of a gap with it. So for us to open a brew bar that was family-friendly, it also meant that people would stay a bit longer. Um, They weren't worried about being on devices and things necessarily. That's up to them. But um, we have games and we have a good kids' menu that is quality food. Um, You know, colouring, things that will entertain the kids to an extent as well. And I think it was missing, it was certainly missing in this area um, and it's been embraced in this area from the locals and and anyone that comes. They're quite surprised that we have what we have. Um, And I I think that's important. And I think it's important um, for parents that just want a bit of downtime, um, that the kids are amused so they'll stay a little bit longer because they're not... You know, they're, pulling not, the they're <laughs> not pulling their hair out, that's right. They're not annoying them, so... Yeah.
0: Um, now, the name, no surprise, now the name comes from the a, a combination of the two children's names. Two things. How did you come about the spelling? And most importantly, is Beau really proud and annoyed that you named a brewery after me but you couldn't even spell my name properly?
2: <laughs> I think um, for us... When Dale was doing homebrewing, he sort of got to the point where he needed a name or wanted to name his competition beers as such or run it under a name. Um, And we came up with a few different combinations, but I I think you really put the letters together and worked out the spelling.
1: Yeah, it was just um, because Jack and Bo. Jack's the older boy. Bo's the younger one. um, Sort of messed around with the words. Jack, Bo didn't sound right. Bo, Jack sounded right. But if I spelled it the right way still didn't look right so I just sort of manipulated the words. And
0: well interestingly because I, I, oh yeah, it would have come out as sort of perhaps faux French or like trying to be perhaps a little bit more highbrow and as I was driving here today using Google Maps the lady on Google Maps because I think because there's a capital J in the centre it just completely messed with it so it came out as brewing. <laughs> So, did you did you look into, like, um, just in terms of, you know, Trap for Young Players, people who are, because a lot of people are listening to these uh, beer as a conversation and they get inspired by the, the stories that they hear. Did you go through, you know, uh, Trademark, go through, like, Google Translate to make sure there wasn't any, you know, anything wrong with the name or did you just kind of...
2: No,
1: I didn't really do anything. <laughs> I checked there was no uh, no other businesses with that name, but, um, yeah much just run with it. So I think
2: Bojack Horseman has come up which <laughs> I, it's a bit early before our time of Bojack Horseman but people have asked is that you know have you named it is it from Russia or some you know a different a Serbian, Serbian um, and and yeah is it anything to do with the Bojack Horseman and I'm like huh <laughs> you know way before our time uh-huh. I think
0: which leads me into one of my I guess my pet loves is is why why do breweries go where they where they go um, and you've got sort of I guess particularly with the new age, if you like, of of modern craft or independent breweries, it's very much about the the cool inner city location and the laneways and the, you know, cobbled streets and and all that sort of thing. Or you've got Bridge Road Brewers, for example, or Red Hill, where it's a more, I guess, a regional sort of, a destination sort of area. Um, We're now seeing more, and and again, Dandenong's a great example, with with Brick Lane, with Dainton, with Kaiju uh, Exit, and there's one I'm missing that'll come to me, um, and you guys, of course, where it's out in the suburbs where we haven't really been blessed with a lot of choice, particularly for, for brew pubs. It's been more... Oh, it's in an industrial estate, so, you know, it's trucks in and out and it's great for a production venue, but it's not so much for for that hospitality side of things. Assuming that you weren't offered the opportunity to be here through the family business, would you have chosen something like this? And how do you think it affects the way you, that the brand is portrayed to your customer base?
1: We definitely would open somewhere in a city, but cost was the main factor, so um, we definitely don't get the, the passing crowd that somewhere in Collingwood or Brunswick would get, so it's been a slow build for us to get the numbers through the door, which it's growing all the time, um, but uh, yeah, hindsight, if you had all the money in the world, you'd do it straight in Collingwood, but um we live around here, so I didn't want to be too far from where we are, um, and I saw there was nothing really in this area. Brought, like, there's, a lot of, there's a few breweries here now, but none of them really have a tap room where you can go and have a beer after work, so that's what we're finding here, that a lot of blue-collar guys come in here and have a beer after work on a Thursday and Friday and uh, grab a four-pack and go home. So,
0: you also, I think there's, I don't want to say, you know, lower expectations, but I think there's a, a, it's easier to welcome your locals in, no no matter where you are. And I've got to say, like, if you tilt your head and squint your eyes the right way, looking at your artwork, that's not out of place in a Merrickville, East Brunswick, you know, that, that kind of, that nice inner city vibe, but you've done it really well so that it doesn't look, you know, pardon the pun, but it doesn't look painted on. It
2: looks like it's meant to be here. Yeah. The other aspect to it was... When we started, it was a big enough risk for us both as it was. We both quit our jobs um, and to open in a venue or in a a warehouse somewhere else um, with cost of rent and not having any idea of how... You hear so many stories about other breweries of the council um, were against them um, or the locals were against them or whatever it may be, but... um, I think for us to open here and and know that we could do modifications and do changes while we waited for the liquor licence to come through, instead of being somewhere and finding that that liquor licence wasn't coming through, it was going to cost more money, more rent. I think that was certainly, for our first venue as such, Mm -hmm. this was very inviting in that regard because it meant that we could do things without having that extra or additional cost or worry that we might not get through.
0: And in terms of lessons learned, did you have um, a consultant or anyone sort of helping you out or did you use references or, or uh, I don't know, bend the ear of other brewers or did you just kind of fumble through making it up as you went along in terms of, you know, how do you do a development application or how do you approach council? Who do I need to speak to about this?
1: Uh, I worked with a town planner from day dot, so... Um, As I had the construction, I did a lot of autocad and all that sort of stuff, so I was able to cut some costs there and do all the drawings myself to go through, um, cancel and that, but yeah, Town Planner had worked with a a few other breweries already, he'd worked with, I think, Boat Rocker for his new... Two
2: rupees as well. Two rupees
1: down in Clayton now, um, so he sort of knew what was going on with breweries and
0: cancels, so, um... It certainly makes a, a big difference. So speaking to brewers where if you're the first kid on the block, um, it's either feast or famine. Um, I know there's one where the council had no idea what they were supposed to do, so granted the brewery to open under a, a, a restaurant, a cafe licence. And then there's others who, oh, no, you've got to tick this box and you've got to ask for permission for this and, and it's a, a real sort of chore. So you guys are probably, I guess, lucky. Was there any restriction on, or was it up to you guys, how just a production brewery with a, you know... A, a tap room or was it important to have the the hospitality aspect and and how did that go in terms of council approval?
2: We also in addition to the town planner we also had meetings right from the start with Dandenong, Greater inong City Council just to identify what issues they would flag with us straight up Um, and car parking was certainly an issue um, just for the numbers which I don't think is a uh, unusual scenario Um, but I think the food aspect was important for us because We didn't want to become a production brewery. We wanted to be places that we wanted to visit um, or had visited, um, again, whilst it was that family-friendly aspect. So um, it was important to work with the council and make sure that, not necessarily that you have them on side, but that there's no surprises and that there's no um, issues that come out when you're already three quarters of the way through the application. And I think that was important also with the town planner that we had identified already from that first initial meeting what the problems would be so that he knew going into it how he could help, I guess.
0: Dale, talk us through, uh, you're jumping from home brewer to pro brewer. How did you go about working out, first of all, what system you wanted? And then talk us through how happy you are with what you decided on.
1: Um, So yeah, so I went with a uh, 500 litre all-in-one system. I didn't want to start too big as I'm coming from the homebrew background, so I wanted to start small but have enough there so I, did, I didn't out, outgrow it too quick. Um, yeah, so 500 litre, we got uh, four, we started with four seven and a half hect tanks, um, which is perfect for the bar, we're keeping up with keg wise and all that. Um, we started packaging can beer. About May last year, so we had to uh, get a couple more tanks, which I was lucky to get a couple of second-hand twelve hect tanks. So um, size-wise, I'd pretty much I'd do the same again. I'd say it's starting to get pretty straining now, brewing a lot just to uh, uh, keep but... the flow with everything. But um, yeah, if I did it all again, I'd probably start the same size. Yep. Yeah.
0: And what sort of system is it?
1: Uh, it's a German Braumeister, So it's pretty much the same as a the little homebrew ones you see around. Um, I had brewed on the one at Grain and Grape a few times, so I felt comfortable with it. I wanted something I could just turn it on and get straight into it. I uh, felt comfortable with it, so um, yeah, I decided to go with that.
0: Yeah, the first lot of brews for Brumanity for their social beast yeah. um, yeah. were done on a, a very a, the same system, I think, at yeah, 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 a Grain and Grape.
1: A few of them around Melbourne now, so I think uh, Westside Aleworks, Works uh, in north. Uh, there's one up in Shepparton Brewery now, so yeah, there's a few of them floating around. So yeah.
0: yeah. So 18 months down the track, you mentioned you know you didn't want to start on on something too big. I guess the most common uh, lament from brewers who, two or three years down the track, the, the first thing they say is, I wish I'd gone bigger. But I looked at that system and I thought, there's no way we can ever brew enough or sell enough beer that I could make on that. Whereas then it's all of a sudden we're having to double brew and, you know, extra shifts and all that sort of thing. Would you, would you change anything now?
1: Probably not. Because at the start, it was just a slow build, so... I was probably only brewing once or twice a week at the start, but now it's sort of gone to three, four. So, um, yeah, I'd probably still stick with the same. I wanted sort of an organic growth and don't go too big too quick. So, yeah, I'd probably stick with the same.
0: And a fun bit of trivia, because I've just realised now that apart from the old Stockade Brewery, which then became Matilda Bay's Garage Brewery in Dandenong, I reckon the first of the the small independent craft breweries in Dandenong might have been Arctic Fox way back in the day. And that's where you got the new tanks?
1: Yeah so um, yeah, Arctic Fox I think closed up uh, a couple of years ago but his tanks are over there still just probably about not even a kilometre away so um, all his kit went on Graze Online auction late last year so I was lucky to snap up a couple of tanks there and some other bits of equipment so um, yeah it's been, it's
0: been good. Sometimes luck is all in the timing. Yeah, that's it. Um, now in terms of the canning uh, are you canning yourself or are you getting a, a mobile canner in?
1: Uh, we started on uh, the manual cask system from Canada, so we got one of them. Um, quickly outgrew that. Uh, the marriage wasn't going as well on that thing. <laughs> um, so uh, we just sold that last week to another brewery, um, and we've been using East Coast for the last uh, six, six or so months. So yeah, so they come in once a month, and we bang out a couple of tanks.
0: Uh, and what what format are you using? 330
1: 375. Uh 375 cans. So um yeah, so uh, yesterday we just placed an order on our our own machine which should come sort of late September, I'd say. So yeah, exciting.
0: At what point do you outgrow where you are now? Because at the moment it's it's great, you know. 18 months since you've opened the doors and I look out there now and I go there's a space for everything and everything is in its place and it's beautiful and clean and I know you didn't do that just for because Bruce news okay. is turning up, but very quickly you know you add the canning machine, you add a few more things. At what point do you say okay? Now we need to maybe you know tap the old man on the shoulder and say eh, next door's not going so well. How about can I have that space as well?
1: Yeah, we've had this discussion a few times. What we want to do in the future, like we're probably more leaning towards if we had another bar venue somewhere else than go bigger. So um, if we had like there's still plenty of room out there for more tanks and height. We've got plenty of height. So um, yeah, if we had another venue where this brewery could supply all the, the beer there, that's probably the way we'd probably look at going forward.
0: Yeah. And Before we forget, because it's just come to me now, so the area that we're in, this is what we're going to talk about. It's a really interesting one because it's very close to residential, it's very close to industrial, semi-industrial, but it's neither of each. It's It's actually an interesting sort of area where you're not in an industrial estate as such, but you're also not I guess, too close to residential, that noise, traffic, people leaving late or anything like that would be... Uh, in fact, how, how have you found that that has affected... Like, where, where do your regulars come from?
1: i uh, oh, we get a whole yeah, mixed. So, we're open Thursdays through to Sundays, so we normally find Thursdays and Fridays, we get the, the general working community here, they come in after work, drinks and lunch on a Friday. And then, sort of, from Friday night onwards, we get the the local surrounding suburbs and then you've got the, the beer lovers that come from wherever they want to come from to come for a, a day out. So um, we seem to get, yeah, a very wide variety of people. Um, that's why you, you see on our beer list we've got something for everyone as well, Just going from like your cultures all the way to your hazy IPAs. So, to your yeah, scouts. Stouts, yeah. So, um, but I think
2: we also get, because of being in that industrial, commercial sort of area, you get people that are driving past as well. So they'll pop in and get takeaways so we've also got that audience that you know um, you don't you don't expect I guess on a Thursday afternoon or a Friday they're driving past because they've done a job somewhere local Um, they may look it up we've had people that have you know looked up breweries in this area because that's where they're going before they go to their next job and they'll stop in and have lunch on a Friday or grab, again, grab some takeaways.
0: And shout out to the Crafty Pint Brewery Directory.
2: That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: Even Brews News, we use it.
2: Yeah. Um, But I think when we first looked at opening, um, as bad as it may sound, we didn't really look um, to the right, which was such a big residential area I think we were always sort of looking well I certainly was Mm. looking to the left down you know Chelt Road and all the apartments down there but then the more that you got to know your local clientele um, and your customers by name and things like that and they kept coming back you sort of say oh whereabouts do you where are you and they're like oh just over the railway just that way and there's so many families out there um, that we just didn't I guess without realising we just didn't Mm. take into consideration that they would be you know one of our regular people.
0: And it shows too how the value of word of mouth is far better than any advertising that you can you can pay for.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, a function speaks a thousand words in that regard because you'll have uh, obviously pre-COVID you'd have seventy to eighty people that would be here. Uh, one of them is a local, and all the rest of them are people that had no idea that you were even here. Well, that's seventy new people that potentially you've got who may enjoy the food, may enjoy the beer, may enjoy both. Who knows? Um, but that's a whole nother. Uh, area that opens up for you.
0: So pre and then obviously post-COVID, what's your um, capacity here?
2: Uh, So we've got, uh, well, uh, pre-COVID, we're licensed for 100, but post-COVID we're at 20 at the moment, obviously with the four square metre. And given measurements, even with the new restrictions that come in as of the 22nd of June, um, yes, that will uh, increase us by five, which is not ideal at all, to be honest. and then you take away the food aspect as well because that's that's what keeps us going um, with the food and, and it allows you to have people that are here for longer than a you know, a couple of beers. Um, So things will change again. It's an ever-changing landscape, which we just have to keep up with, just like everybody else. If it was summer or a day like today, it would be nice to sit outside and we can do 10 outside. But um, yeah, most or the majority of the winter night, it's all winter days, are cold and windy and wet. So.
0: And I can imagine there's been plenty of business conversations between the two of you in terms of, you know, at what point it's feasible to open, but it's important to open to be that, I guess that beacon you know good our local is is has reopened how did you go about i guess working out you know at what point do we do we open
2: well we'd sort of heard rumors through hospitality that we would get four weeks notice So we'd sort of run down all our kegs um, or run down some of the more hazy ones like calypso and things. We did a bit of a deal with that. Um, And we were really focused, like many breweries at the moment, focused on packaged and canned beer. Um, So then when we got the announcement that it would be two weeks, there was a little bit of panic, to say the least. Um, You know, it was sort of along the lines of, but I thought it was going to be four. Well, I don't know. I'm just, you know, going with what I heard. So... Um, Dale's, uh, as he's already talked, brewed, you know, four times um, or a couple of, in a couple of weeks, doing four times each week just to try and get the stock back up. I know some breweries haven't been able to open or have decided not to because they're in exactly the same position, had no keg beer. We've got a couple of guest taps which have probably saved us um, in the last couple of weeks just to make sure that we've always got those 12 taps available.
0: Is that something you've just done or, or did you have guest taps on... Before, pre, pre-COVID?
2: pre No, we had um, kaiju cider. We've always had that on tap. Um, and um, just before COVID, we got Bad Shepherd's Hazelnut Brown Ale and we got Exit's uh, Milk Stout. Um, but then we closed, so that was just sort of sitting there a little bit. Um, we were selling the Crowlers, being the one-litre cans. Um, we didn't need to ever have the guest taps. It was really only because come February, Dale, we hadn't even sort of Moved our mind to dark beers, have yeah, we? Yeah,
1: we'd run out of all our dark beers early in the years and I didn't have any time to brew any, so that's why we got the two guest taps. So, um,
2: But we're yeah. all stocked up now with... Porter and Stout <laughs> so no offence to Bad Shepard and Exit but they'll be uh, they'll be taken off once they're thanks on. thanks for your help but, yeah. but, but thanks anyway yeah
0: um now that brings me to my next question um in terms of your I guess a portfolio um there's obviously beers that you brewed as a home brewer. there's the ones that I guess are your favourites the ones that you've got you know trophies on the mantelpiece from your homebrew comps and, and that sort of thing um but then you've it's one thing to say, I'm going to brew beers that I like, which is fine if you're the one paying for them all. But when you've got to then, I guess, extend the arm, you know, the, the, the hand of friendship to Joe Public, how do you go about working out what sort of beers, what, what your range is and what you're seen as?
1: As soon as we knew we were going to open a brewery, we knew we had to have a wide range of beers. You can't just sort of pigeonhole yourself and say, I'm going to make what I want to drink because that, that's just not going to work. So, um, yeah, from day dot, I sort of had a list in mind and I've sort of... Stuck with that now. Sort of normally have four or five that will stay around all the time. So it's starting from a, a knockoff draft which is a German style Kolsch and then we have got double IPAs and all that sort of stuff. So um
2: I think it's moving with the seasons as well, so ensuring that you've got something for each of the seasons, but also looking at what the trends are. You know, I don't think... I'm not sure when, um, but hazies just seem to not go away. Um, Seems to be just so popular. Um, It's gone to, obviously, double hazies, and now you can see the movement of, um, you know, pastry stouts and things like that that have started, and and there was obviously the sour craze as well. Um, So I think it's important to have something to show your ability in that... um, beer style as well. Um, But as Dale said, we've always had something for everyone. We put those 12 taps in so that we could have that range. um, And we try to stick to make sure that we have something for everyone. So that when you get a tasting paddle, you're not getting three pale ales and and the Mm. likes of that regard.
0: How have you seen, I guess, um, and and again, I'm specifically couching this question because we're in, if you like, an emerging beer landscape. It's not... A sophisticated, knowledgeable—you know—everyone's got untapped, and, and and are just trying to, you know, collect the full set. Do you find people coming in asking for a, a beer by a particular style, or I want something that tastes like, you know, insert name here? How are how are you going? How was? What's the feedback from the from the customers?
2: I don't. I don't think. We've had anyone that really says that. They might say, oh, what about doing a wit beer or something similar? Oh, I really like whipped beers. Um, but the majority of times that someone says that they like a particular beer style, you can usually, with our range, you can move them on to something that, um, you know, we don't have a straight lager, but we've got the pilsner um, and things along those lines. Um, I, as I said, I think it's more just ensuring that you've got that range all the time. Yeah, I mean, we use the the Robo Brew to be able to do a small 50 litre batch so that we can, I guess, use the, the public waters. on <laughs> as a guinea pig. Um, we did recently Spiked in the Fall, which was the collab with That Spirited Lot. Um, and before doing that, Dale did the American Amber Ale, which is now in the fall, which we've got on tap. So that was just a small 50 litre. I think the plan is to do a few more just to see how they go. Yeah. We had a double Hazy, which was Helter Skelter. And we did that as a trial batch and we ended up making that our taproom series and it just, yeah, flew off the shelves in that regard. Um, people were still saying in the bar, when are you bringing in a, another double? So that's what we've done. We've done Through the Fog, which is another double hazy. Um, and oh, judging by the sales already, like it's, you know, just in a day how well it's sold. So it's certainly something that people wanted um, and enjoy And Calypso is certainly one of those beers that seems to be our most popular um, and is becoming quite well known. So I think if Dale can do that hazy IPA um, well, then people might reflect and think, well, what's he going to do with a double, I guess?
0: And Dale, does the smaller system, I guess, give you that freedom, the agility, if you like, um, to be able to, n- not bend to the whims of the public, but as something new comes along, you're not committing, if you like, a, a larger batch or, or a longer brew time to do it? Does that influence, do you think, um, I guess, your ability to, to think on the run?
1: Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. It's perfect. You can, you've got a little an idea that comes in your head, you can uh, bang out a brew quickly on a Friday Avo and
2: play around, play
1: around with it and test it out and chuck it on the, on the taps here and see how people go with it. So, um, yeah, I reckon it's perfect.
0: Does everything go through the, the pilot system or is that just for, uh, you know, we're just not sure on, on how to brew this or...? Yeah,
1: it's mainly beers that I sort of don't have much uh, history in brewing before. I'd do it on the pilot. If it's something I'm pretty confident, I'll just go straight into the 500-litre uh, batch. So, yeah.
0: Now we, um, this is the bit I love doing, which is where we polish the crystal ball. And I'm going to start off with a question that, um, I ask because I'm always intrigued and I think our listeners really are interested in the answer, but it's also something that a lot of people don't think about. And I don't want, you know, don't want to make it Sorry. seem like it's, yeah, you know, Pete the Doomsday or anything, but what's the exit strategy for Bojack?
2: Gosh, got an exit we haven't strategy. got an exit strategy. We both look at each other, huh, what? What exit strategy? Oh, I'd yeah. hope
1: the, the boys would uh, take over later down the track, but, yeah, we haven't really thought about it. Yeah, and, that. I mean,
0: and, look, that's the that's the correct answer. A lot of people, I think, don't... Uh, it's it's not something that, uh, I guess, is front of mind um, because you sort of think, well, we're husband and wife, we're family, it's a family business, we've got the two boys, surely, yeah, just one day they'll, they'll sort of take it over. Um, it's probably more... Important, I guess, where it's two mates who you know were business partners or, or something like that, because at the end of the day, when you don't have that family bond, sometimes you know you don't get the opportunity to talk through things when they're little and they become bigger things, and then all of a sudden you're looking at okay, well, how do we divide up the business and that sort of thing. So it's just Isn't as it's say,
2: marriage. Isn't that exactly what marriage can be?
0: <laughs> it is, and that gives you a lot more uh, a lot more tools in the toolbox, I think, to to fix the little problems. We've, you know, you, you fix the squeaky wheel before it. Uh, you know sort of becomes a major uh, sort of issue Um, and then the other thing polishing the crystal ball where I come back here obviously sooner than that but let's say in five years time uh, what's Bojack Brewing look like?
2: Well we'd hope to have another little bar I guess um, that doesn't have the pressure and the council restrictions of what does when you have to brew and being in a particular um, you know building and land and and whatnot around you but yeah I think another little bar somewhere um, whether it's in a city, whether it's in the suburbs, um, somewhere that hasn't been discovered, just like Dandenong really wasn't as far as the tap room was concerned. I'm not sure, We've got to, we'll have got, we have a new canning machine, we'll have a few new mm. tanks by then. Um, that's just this year. I can't even <laughs> think past it at
0: the moment. Come on Sue, but it, like, you know, commit to it now. Are we still gonna be drinking hazies?
2: Um, Look, it's my favourite beer style. It's definitely something that I'm happy to continue with. Um, But who knows? I mean, no one would have ever thought something like a a sour beer or um, a a pastry stout would ever come out of anything. Um, So it's just... That's, I guess, the best thing about being in this industry. It's always changing. There's always something new that will come up, and someone will create. Um, even just to think of how hazies were created, just doesn't. It's just strange when you think of how clear and the, the clarity in all the other beers. Um, I'd like to think hazy's will still have a place. They'll certainly have one in my uh, in my world, but anyone else, I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> how much of that love do you think, or your keenness to keep it going, is the fact that you can control it? um and i say that because let's say in in 3 years time um people in brisbane are knocking down the door saying heard all about bojack beers we want to get them up here and you know what you're famous for hazies we want your hazies you're then handing over that control a little bit and look maybe canning techniques and brewing techniques mean that you know the haze doesn't drop out or you know the cans aren't expanding um at that time but how much do you think that influences the fact that you can brew them here and and pretty much serve them in the time frame that, that they're best at?
2: I think, I think it has to influence. We're here for people of what they want to drink. If people are still wanting to drink hazies, you're still going to create them. There's people already asking in Sydney and Brisbane for our beers, whether that is in part of that five-year plan, I'm not sure. Um, COVID has certainly done a lot for us as far as push us in boundaries that we never anticipated. I don't think we even considered that we would be nationally sending beer um, and I think that was because more it was a worry for us of how it would get there uh, and in what condition it would get there Um, so for us um, if people are wanting it and people are asking for it then I think that's what that's what we're there for we're there for people to be enjoy able to enjoy those beers so it's important for us to make sure that those styles are available plus a little bit. Of other things on the side and different different beer styles that maybe you could push them over to a little bit as well, but. Um yeah, if they want the hazy, we'll be creating the hazy. <laughs> and then
0: um, you touched then on, uh, you know, the, I guess wanting to open a, a bar, that a, a simpler version, if you like, that's, that's just the bar. How important, though, is, do you think, to the feel of the place and to people's appreciation of it that they can, well, not look through the window and see, but, you know, they can look into the shed and see, oh, that's where the beers come from. How important is it, do you think, that you're drinking at the source rather than drinking at a, a retail outlet?
2: I think we're one of a few breweries that we don't have that viewing capacity. Um, You're not stuck in the middle, but then saying that you can actually see the brewery from the men's toilets in the urinal, uh, dare I say it, Um, but also I think we've got the ability to be able to heat this place, um, cool this place, so that's important for people's comfort and, and their thoughts, well, we won't go to that. Another brewery, or we won't go to another place because it's a warehouse and it's freezing cold. Um, so we've got that at least, that against or on top of everybody else. Um, I think the importance of seeing the brewery is we don't, you can't really see it from this one, and we already know that it can be successful. So the idea of being a little brew bar that still has our beers, but maybe we change the food style or something similar. Um, that's exciting for us, I think. I don't think it needs the you don't need uh, the yeah, and things yeah. in the back. I think most people don't
1: really give a ruts yeah. if they can see the brewery or not. They just want to go there and have a beer, so
0: and I must say, Date, you don't strike me as the kind of guy who needs to sort of be on a pedestal and be, you know, seen through the window to, to, to justify your art.
1: <laughs> I don't want anyone seeing me what I'm doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we don't want to, you know, give away the company secrets yeah. and, and all that sort of thing. So where do you th- where have you seen um, I guess in the 18 months that you've been open what's the biggest surprise that um, that you've you can share about getting into the beer business
2: I think packaging beer I don't think we ever anticipated that when you package beer and you distribute it to different bottle shops that it brings people to that we hoped that that would happen um, but to actually see that come out um, and actually occur
0: was the initial plan to be just literally a tap room where you would You'd just keg your beers or run them straight out of a a bright tank?
1: Yeah, pretty much. We just thought we'd just sell all our beers um, here and a few kegs out to local bars and that. But um, we saw the rise of cans and how the the shift of uh, people's drinking habits now where they'd rather go to a bottle shop and get some cans and go home and drink on a Friday night. So we thought we'd uh, dip our toe in the water with the with a can- little canning machine and gave it a gave it a crack at the start and yeah it's really sort of taken off so uh...
0: and again it really highlights you know how timing sometimes is is everything um, when i think back you know and it's only maybe 5 6 years ago um, where you know a, a decent si- you know medium sized brewery that had just spent 150000 on a, a brand new bottling line you know mm. just as cans started to take over so sometimes yeah timing timing's everything yeah.
2: plus i think With COVID hitting as well, timing is everything, even though we obviously hit that for six months. But um, I I really feel for some of the breweries, even locally around here, that didn't have the ability to can and package and suddenly they're told to close the doors and that's it and all they've got is kegs. Bars obviously don't want kegs because they're closed. So... I think that really got us through COVID as well, um, being able to package, the shift was huge as far as we've got all these fermenters with all this beer, what are we going to do with it? Well, let's can beers that we wouldn't normally can, um, so things like 3175, our Pilsner, um, that had never been canned, so we created a label for that and, uh, and yeah, went out on the shelves. So that was that was a big learning step for us. And as I said, I, I felt really sorry for those that weren't in that position and couldn't benefit a little bit while that was all going on especially with the unknown of how long COVID was going to go for.
0: And how did uh, just talk us through we, you know we talk about it, it's a family business it's it's literally a family business husband and wife and only two other employees pre-COVID?
1: Uh, we have, we've we got a cook, um, some bar staff and we just had uh, Glenn our sales guy start just before COVID so yeah it was five, five or six of us yeah.
0: And is the plan to I guess to, to go back to normal Uh, as soon as you can? Or um, was JobKeeper or JobSeeker or any of those sort of things any any use to you?
2: JobKeeper was hard for us because it was trying to show, he had to show a reduction. And if we had reduced in 18 months, there was obviously a a huge issue. Um, So yeah, that was a a bit of a tricky one. We've managed to get JobKeeper for two of us, um, the sales guy and myself. And um, it's just a matter of yeah, just trying to balance it out at the moment. Um, we're hiring some bar staff. I guess when you're in this position of having your own business and being husband and wife with two young kids, um, it's hard to find that balance. And I think by starting to take a little bit of a step away, Dale was obviously working in the bar, I work in the bar. Um, we're sort of getting a little bit tired now because it's an eight-day-a-week job as far as we're concerned. So being able to have some staff and or additional staff in the bar will be a huge help for us just um, I think as a family um, and, and just trying to grow in a different way instead of having to try and do everything yourself.
0: Yeah, and it's probably worth you know, not understating that in that um, if you two were business partners only, um, male, female, whatever, but you go home to different families and, and you can kind of switch off, but I guess with you guys it's, you, you're always
1: a day, mm-hmm. yeah. Doesn't There's stop. no break really, no. so you go home. You're talking about it, so
2: and then you're getting Instagram messages and emails that if you don't answer them. <laughs> they'll probably get lost in everything. So at 9 o'clock at night, you're replying and, um, you know, you're taking bookings and things, and especially at the moment when you're trying to fit everyone in, it just... It, it literally doesn't stop. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I guess that's the other thing too, is it you know, when you start off, I guess, Sue, so you thought you you were the... Like, the hospitality manager side of things, and Dale, you looked after the, the brewing side of things. Was that how the delineation yeah.
2: sort of... Yeah, definitely. That's
0: in theory, definitely. Yeah. yeah. What have you learnt? I guess since then, what are are the things that? What other hats have you had to wear that you didn't expect that you would have to?
2: I don't know if it's whether I didn't expect or whether I just hadn't even put my head to that. that
0: Chose to ignore.
2: Yes, perhaps chose to ignore, um, or just had no idea. We'd never owned our own business before. um, But there's obviously we've got an accountant, but I try and minimise the amount that goes through. So I've got the invoicing hat and the debt collecting hat and. Um, you know organising anything canning's not just the cans just rock up as they are you know you've got cans and lids and labels and design and barcodes and everything that go blurbs that go on the cans and the colours and um, and then you've got wages and stock and uh, just yeah the list just keeps going
0: (laughs) so what do you think from your yeah your previous work life what sort of skills do you think you've brought across here that have that have helped you
1: probably this organ- organisation skills because I was sort of like a project manager back in my old job. So sort of brewing's pretty linear like that where you've got your steps and you follow it all through. So I like a sort of schedule and following the steps through. So I think that's sort of one one of the main things of... Uh...
0: And do you think too that that gives you... What I think is really important is that... Which I think a lot of people miss because you, you tend to get very focused tunnel vision. Having that ability to see the big picture, do you think that's helped you... Um, it, like you say, brewing is very lineal. You can't can before you've mashed in. You can't mash in before you've milled. Uh, you can't mill before you've, you know, done your orders and that sort of thing. But are you also, uh, I guess, thinking ahead to, you know, what's next, what what styles are emerging, how much time do I need to, to brew a beer?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I sort of schedule's normally... I know what I'm doing every day, sort of two months in advance, so the schedule scheduling back in the uh, construction days has sort of really transitioned across to the brewing, so with our uh, stock cleaning tanks all that sort of stuff like everything's sort of by the, by the day so
0: in brewing are you less reliant on so many other trades i guess uh, is it, is it easier that's
1: the that's the thing i i love not having to deal with at o- at all now is uh, dealing with tradies so uh. we're all held
0: up because the plumbers on another job yeah. can't get here for a week but at, at least i guess here the difference is that you can you can buy all the cans you can buy all the labels and then you can store them you don't have to i yeah, guess right. order them in when they when they when they're, when yeah. they're ready yeah.
1: Because I'm, I'm the only one out in the brewery, so I can, I'm controlling everything. If something doesn't work, it's my fault, so I can't blame anyone else. So, uh.
0: so my next question is probably one for Sue, because at some point Dale's going to have to cede control of the, or he's going to have to share the brew house.
2: What's that going to be like? <laughs> well, he certainly won't be sharing it with me. That's for sure. I don't think he trusts me to even clean the tanks, let alone uh, do anything else. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, A lot of people have put their hands forward or put their hats in the ring to say, oh, I'd love to come and help. Happy to get my hands dirty. Um, It's just not something on Dale's radar at the moment. And it's something that Dale has to make that decision, I think, as to when or if that occurs. Um, Maybe to get an apprentice or something like that that does, as I said, even if they were to do the dirty jobs, it's still not, you know, cleaning the tanks, it's still not on his list of what he wants them to do. So I'm not really sure what they'll be doing. Um, You
0: must hope, though, that... You, the business will grow to the point where you've, you just can't do it on your own. Oh, it's
1: definitely going to have to happen, but um, I got into this because <laughs> I love brewing beer, so I'm, I'm jumping out of bed every morning to come do this, so if I've got to work harder, I'll just work harder for now, so um, we'll get to that point when it comes.
0: <laughs> and so we haven't touched on your former life in law enforcement. Now, apart from obviously controlling the rowdies on a Saturday night, what has your background brought to BoJack Brewing that you think you couldn't have done without it?
2: Um... Oh gosh, to have been in Victoria Police for 17 years and in the courts for the last five years. I guess, um, and you probably know from this actual uh, podcast, but I don't have uh, a shy to talk, um, so I don't have any problem with that. Um, It's great to be able to relate to people. Maybe it's more my personality, um, but... You know, I go out of my way to know about my customers, um, learning their names or what they like to drink or um, and things like that. So that I think that's important to have that. You have to have a, um, build a rapport in Big Poll, um, and that's important. I, I haven't had to deal with anyone rowdy as such here. Uh, we're actually in a, a very good location, far enough away from. Um, some of the problems that may occur in Dandenong Um, so I haven't had any of those problems but um, I certainly have the skill set if I need it (laughs) Um, but yeah I think that just the rapport building and being able to build relationships and things like that, you have to do that in VicPol. So um, that's certainly been one of the skills that I've been able to move across. Um, I'm an organised person. Um, I have lists for lists for lists. I don't think that's VicPol related, but again, it's probably just my personality. Um, but yeah, d- that would probably be about it. <laughs> well,
0: I'm pretty confident. I think, you know, just in the short time that I've had to chat to you guys, I think you both seem to complement each other beautifully so I think uh, it, it's not like you polar opposites but I certainly think that you, uh, you I doubt that you would step on each other's toes too much.
2: <laughs> I don't know about that that's certainly um, this uh, project we'll call it the 18 months has certainly been a learning curve as far as our marriage is concerned a lot of people go I don't know how you do it Nice sort of And I'm sure Dale does, scratch his heads and goes, I don't know how we do it either. But at the moment, it works. um, And maybe the more we sort of take a bit more of a step away and sort of enjoy a bit more family time, um, we'll make it easier. We both have ideas of how we want things to run. And generally, we're on the same path. It's just the way we get there um, that can be different or that cause the arguments in one way or another. Um, But, yeah, we both... Not we both want it to be successful, but we both want the look to be the same of something or the way we do things. It's the same thing. We just have different ways to get there, I think, is the only way I can sort of describe it. Yeah.
0: I think that's called branding and, you know, yeah, yeah brand building.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> and I think, too, without putting too fine a point on it, I think uh, the fact that at the end of the day, no matter what happens, there's a beer waiting, I just honestly believe that solves a lot, a lot of problems. and. Yeah. On that note, Dale and Sue, thank you very much for joining us on Beer as a Conversation.
2: Thank you. Thanks for coming.
1: Thanks, mate. Cheers.
0: And that was Dale and Sue Messina from Bojack Brewing. Hope you enjoyed our chat. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and are proud sponsors of Beer is a Conversation. Now, don't forget, if you like Radio Brews News, you can throw us a bone in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, you can drop a few shekels into the cup, or leave a one-off bag of cash, small unmarked bills if you wouldn't mind, Please, or you can review us and hit the like and subscribe and hit the bell and heart us, follow us, whatever you cool kids do nowadays to show your appreciation. Uh, Details are in the show notes. You probably don't really read show notes, do you? Why do I bother?